Hello there. I hope you're doing well today. This is the Word of the King. This is Evangelist Timothy Gruber coming to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 4 says, Where the word of a king is, there is power, and who may say unto him, What doest thou? Today on the word of the king, we're going to be addressing cultural Christianity polluting the bride of Christ. Again, cultural Christianity polluting the bride of Christ. I pray that many a professing Christian will indeed be listening to this. But if you're listening to this and you're not a professing Christian... <laughs> You're not truly born again by the grace of God. I just want you to know that uh, we're going to be addressing something perhaps you yourself have been a victim of, and it's religious hypocrisy. <laughs> Tell me all about it. I myself have been there. But it hasn't shut me up one bit. I still talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. I still preach Him. I still proclaim it every time God opens up the door. Let's have a word of prayer here. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just come before you, dear God, and I just want to thank you, dear God, for your goodness and your kindness that led me to repentance back in March of 1995. Lord, I thank you, dear God, that when I, when I got Jesus, I didn't get religion. I got life and life more abundantly. And I pray, dear God, for those listening, dear God, who were fed up with religion. Lord, may they come to know today that Jesus, he, he doesn't give religion. He gives life and life more abundantly. There's all kinds of religion in this world, dear Lord God, and it, it's dead. But the faith of Jesus Christ is a lively faith. <laughs> and we are, spiritually speaking, lively stones built up in him, a stone whom the builders rejected. And indeed, he's become the head of the corner. Dear God, today as we address this issue of cultural Christianity, dear God, I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would help professing Christians, dear God, to be on guard, dear God, for the false balance, which is an abomination to you, the Lord. Again, Lord, today in America, there's so many, in the name of Christ, going from one extreme to another. And they're having a hard time, seemingly walking the fine line, because the devil has got them deceived in so many ways. Being led by the spirits of men and being taught by the spirits of men, rather than being led by your spirit and taught by your spirit. Lord, I pray you would change that, dear God, and I pray you would deal with hearts, dear God, through this message. Save and unsaved alike. And for those that have a form of God, which denies the power, they don't really got the life more abundantly. It's on the end side, in and by faith of Jesus Christ, and Him being in His glory within, being revealed. Lord God, please, Lord, may you grant them repentance today, the acknowledge of the truth, after a godly sorrow that worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. May you give them repentance toward you, the living God, through faith in Jesus Christ, and in doing so, give them hope toward you, the living God, in the day of evil. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Again, Ecclesiastes 8, verse 4 says, With the word of a king is, there is power, who may say unto him, What doest thou? Again, open up, if you would, please, to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Reading from the King James Bible, it is written, Romans 12, verses 1 through 3. The Apostle Paul writing to the church of Rome, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Oh, when I think of the mercies of God, I'm reminded of how, again, in Titus 3, 5, it is written, not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. By the mercies of God you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Keep in mind, you got the Holy Ghost, you got the Spirit of God in you, listener. Your body is none other than the temple of the living God. And you are, present yourself a living sacrifice daily unto God, even as God and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
presented himself a sacrifice for you, for your sins. And is alive forevermore, interceding at the right hand of God for you, according to Hebrews 7.25, and that he liveth and he liveth forevermore. Amen, amen. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's right, it's your reasonable service. Now, enough of this, just receive Jesus as your Savior. No. You receive him as Lord and Savior. If he's not going to be your Lord, and yet he's not going to be your Savior, okay? And any preacher that tells you otherwise is under the inspiration of lies and the father of lies. Don't listen to him any more than you would listen to the devil. Verse 2 of Romans 12. The Apostle Paul says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Verse 3, for I say, through the grace given unto me, get grace, God's unmerited favor. We're told in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. The Apostle Paul talked about how, through the grace of God, enabling him, see, the grace of God enabled the Apostle Paul to be what he was. And it's the grace of God that enables you and I to be what we are, in and through Jesus Christ, whatever our calling may be, and whatever our gifts of the Spirit may be. For I say through the grace given unto me, Paul writes, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Oh, beware of pride. The pride in heart are an abomination to God. And yes, Christian, though you may be saved, though you may be washed in the blood, if you're walking under a spirit of pride like a Pharisee, oh, you got the stench of abomination on you. Though you may be washed in the blood, you got the stench of abomination on you, and you ought to repent. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Keep in mind, by nature, Christian, you are faithless, just like every natural man out there is without the Spirit. These people are faithless. They have no seed of faith in them, except what faith God puts in them through the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. For faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. As God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith, think soberly, soberly. <laughs> think in such a way as to be on guard, for we know that the devil is a roaring lion goeth about, seeking whom he may devour. And guess where the battle's won, and guess where it's lost, listener? In the mind. Think soberly. Now, verse 2, Paul writes, And be not conformed to this world. Cultural Christianity. Think about the, the, the phrase itself, cultural Christianity, pretty much defines and explains itself. It's a professing church. Being more conformed to the culture than being salt and light to the culture. It's the culture rubbing off on the church, not the church rubbing off on the culture. And as to my read my Bible, the church is supposed to be rubbing off on the culture by the power of the Holy Spirit, not the culture rubbing off on the church. You, Christian, are supposed to be rubbing off on the world. The world's not supposed to be rubbing off on you. And yet, you got these evangelical free churches. The Bible says that a false balance is an abomination to God. When I think of a false balance being an abomination to God, you know, I think of these evangelical free churches on one hand, where it's a free-for-all. No wonder they call them evangelical free. It's a free-for-all. There's practically no standard of holiness whatsoever. There's no standard of walking in the fear of God. None whatsoever in these evangelical free churches. It's a free-for-all. Then you got the other extreme, churches in America, which is, for the most part, defines the fundamentalist Baptist, who get all caught up in these man-made rules and regulations 
you know, this 10% tithe law thing, you know, they've taken out of the Old Testament and tried to apply to the New Testament as some law. That's nothing but a Roman Catholic, satanic, man-made tradition that is used to keep souls in bondage to the local church when I would never go so far as that man Harold Camping went. I mean, Harold Camping went so far as to say that the local church was in no way, shape, or form an ordained institution to God. That's a lie. But I will say this. We're living in a day where there's a lot of wisdom, I think, in people separating from a lot of these so-called churches. And just having church right in their home. Jesus said we're two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst. Now, if your preacher tries to pull any of his C.I. Schofield heretical interpretations, you know, from the Bible, and try to say that, oh, that doesn't really mean that, and that doesn't apply to today, it's like, okay, just ask, how do you define church? Jesus defined church right there when he said we're two or three are gathered together. There am I in their midst. And they're gathered together in my name, in the context of the one gospel. Another reason why a lot of preachers wouldn't want you to believe that, dear listener, is because if you have church at home, just two or three gathered together in his name, the name of Jesus, guess what? That means you're not for the local church, quote-unquote, able to put your 10% and whatever else God believes in your heart in their little uh, money box, okay? I'm told some of these churches actually take two or three offerings a service. That's ridiculous. Lovers of money more than lovers of God. You coaches, sinners, I mean, you listening, repent. Yeah, going on here, the word of the king. Yeah, but they're both abominations. What I just defined are both abominations. The fundamentals, Baptist, legalistic, extreme, evangelical, free extreme, where there are basically no uh, standards of holiness, but it's just outright lasciviousness. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Continuing on here in the word of the king. 1 John chapter 2. Starting in verse 12. John, the apostle, writes, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Amen. Come unto Jesus. Revelation chapter 1 says, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He was the first begotten uh, of the dead, prince of the kings of the earth. Verse 13 of 1 John 2. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. When I think of overcoming the wicked one, in the context of 1 John 2, verse 13, we're told that this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Verse 14 of 1 John 2. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Oh, our God, I think of Psalm 46, verse 1. The mighty God is our, ref uh, our refuge. The mighty God is our refuge, a strong help in the day of trouble. Verse 15. Love not the world. There it is. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. See, when I think of all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, what was it that Satan ultimately used as the serpent to appeal to our parents, Adam and Eve, in the garden? Our father Adam and the mother of all living, Eve, what did he use to appeal to them? He used the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
They saw the fruit, they saw the forbidden fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. There's the lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh. Now, of course, having not yet officially fallen, Adam and Eve did not possess uh, flesh prior to the fall in the sense that we now do. But just like our human flesh now seeks to exalt itself, in comes the pride of life, whereby the serpent himself tempted Adam and Eve, specifically Eve. And then Eve tempted Adam, we're told. And he said, you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. When Satan tempted Jesus there in the wilderness, read down through there in the context of Matthew chapter 4. He talked about turning the stones into bread. There's the lust of the flesh. And that's, that's another way, even though they didn't possess flesh in the sense that we do today. That's another way Satan got Eve. And then Eve got Adam. Because, see, the food, it was good to eat. <laughs> There's the lust of the flesh. Satan, he showed, showed Jesus there in the context of Matthew 4, all, you know, the the, the, skate, the landscape, the, the, the city, you know, and all the kingdoms, you know. He said, here, I'll give these to you if you bow down and worship me. You see it right there, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Matthew 4. Of course, what Jesus said to Satan is how you and I should respond as well with the word of God. Get thee behind me, Satan. It is written. I shall worship the Lord my God, and him alone I shall worship. But you see, cultural Christianity, that's how Satan appeals to cultural Christianity, which is ultimately is a false Christianity. It's no saving genuine faith at all. There's no life abundantly in cultural Christianity. But that's how Satan appeals to cultural Christianity. He appeals to it with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Hey, hey, you want to have a nice reputation? You want to feel good and proud of yourself? Hey, just go ahead. Start ordaining a bunch of homosexuals as ministers, as the devil tells you. Go ahead. Start embracing homosexuality. Start embracing, you know, the feminazis and their pro-choice agenda. Just embrace everything that the world stands for. It's anti-Christ. It's against God. And this is what I'll give you. Yeah, that's what Satan, the father of lies, promises you in cultural Christianity. And how many of you fall for it? Because you love your pleasures more than lovers of God. You fear men more than you fear God. You love the praise of men more than you love the praise of God. You're either an outright religious Pharisee who professes Jesus Christ... Or you're a lascivious liar who has no standard of holiness whatsoever about you if you're in cultural Christianity today. We're going to go ahead here and have a song here in the Word of the King. May you enjoy and may this song minister to you for the honor and glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My heart was distressed, he Jehovah's red frown, and lo, in the pit where my sins dragged me down, I cried to the Lord from the deep miry clay, who tenderly brought me out to golden day. He brought me out of the miry clay, he set my feet on the rock to stay. He puts a song in my soul today, a song of praise, hallelujah. He plays. 
placed me upon the strong rock by his side. My steps were established, and here I'll abide. No danger in falling while here I remain, but stand by his grace until the crown I gain. I'll sing of his wonderful mercy to me. I'll praise him till all men his goodness shall see. I'll sing of salvation at home and abroad. To many shall hear the truth and trust in God. He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. He puts a song in my soul today. A song of praise. Hallelujah. He brought me out, he brought me out of the miry clay. It is written, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In the context here, the Apostle Paul is addressing there's some open fornication going on in the church of Corinth. Hence, it is written in, chapter, in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. Such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. You know, cultural Christianity, you know, Christianity that tries to embrace culture and the sin that Christ rejecting culture stands for has no problem with uh, fornication in the church. No. Especially if it's getting enough money from the fornicator. No. They don't got a problem with that. That's cultural Christianity. That's an abomination to God. Oh, and you're puffed up. Oh, you that are into cultural Christianity, how puffed up you are. You don't mourn over sin. Just like the church in Corinth, as Paul's rebuking them here in 1 Corinthians 5. And you're puffed up and have, have not rather mourned. And he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Cultural Christianity does not believe in any form of church discipline whatsoever. Again, you got fundamentals in the Baptists like a bunch of Pharisees walking in fear of one another. That's the one extreme. It's an abomination to God. Then you got these churches, like the evangelical free churches, that are walking in the fear of men as well, only from a different perspective somewhat. But anyways, in either case, you got, people, you got sinners puffed up, not mourning sin, and not taking vengeance on sin, as we're commanded to in the New Testament. Paul says in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 5, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are leavened. Unleavened, excuse me. Again, Paul says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Verse 8, Therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. How can you that are in cultural Christianity, when you refuse to be the salt, of the earth, like Jesus commanded us to be, there, in the context of the Beatitudes there, Matthew 5, when you refuse to be the salt of the earth, you refuse to be the light of the world, even as you profess to be in the light, who is Jesus Christ, how can you claim to be worshiping God with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth? You're a liar if you profess to worship God in sincerity and truth. You're walking in cultural Christianity, and you're being more conformed to the culture than you are to Jesus Christ. That's right. True saving faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ, the faith is of Jesus Christ and comes from him alone. Does not conform one to the culture of this evil generation. No. It conforms one to the image of the Son, even as they're predestined to be conformed to his image, according to Romans 
chapter 8. As it is written in the context there of 29, 30, verse 29, verse 30 of Romans 8. I wrote unto you, verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 5, Paul continues, I wrote unto you in an epistle, not to company with fornicators. Verse 10, yet not altogether with fornicators of this world, or with covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. Hey, hey, God is not into this, you know, monk game. You want to play monk, like these Roman Catholic monks, and go hide in a cave? God's not into that. You're supposed to be salt. You're supposed to be light. So if you weren't interested in playing monk, you're not going to be a servant of Jesus Christ. That's for sure. It says in verse 11, But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such and one, no, not to eat. Again, cultural Christianity doesn't believe in practicing such things. Because again, if you're in the culture of Christianity, you're a man pleaser, you're not a God pleaser. Told in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, and by the Spirit of our God. We're told, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than being now justified. By his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him. Revelation 21, verse 8, But the fearful, and the unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We're told in Revelation 22, verse 14, 15, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. Talking about that heavenly Zion, that heavenly Jerusalem. Verse 15, For without, for without that heavenly Zion, for without that Heavenly Jerusalem, for without are dogs, and sorcerers, and whoremongers, and murderers, and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Murderers, told, thou shalt not kill. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Jesus said the two greatest commandments, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You fail to keep those God says, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Oh, but I'm so thankful. It is written in Revelation 22, verse 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. See, a lot of the, the love, you know, that's practiced, you know, in these fundamentalist Baptist churches, their concept of love is actually more occultic than it is Christ-like. What do I mean by that? Well, it's like this. You go down to any local kingdom hall, any of you fundamentalists, any of you Baptists listening, you go down to any local kingdom hall, and you'll find out that the Jehovah's Witnesses there, they don't have anything to do with any of the Jehovah's Witnesses, practically, outside of their local kingdom hall, except for when they have their conventions. Okay? Uh, you go to any LDS, any Latter-day Saint, any Mormon, quote-unquote, fellowship. And uh, the, the LDS, Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, within that little assembly, they don't have anything to do, for the most part, with any of the Mormons outside their local assembly there, their local LDS synagogue of Satan. No. Oh, unless they're having their convention, unless they're having one of their conventions out in Salt Lake City or wherever else, then they'll get together with their other Mormon buddies. And most of you fundamentalists, most of you Baptists, don't have anything to do with any uh, other Christians or 
any of your other so-called fundamentalist Baptist buddies outside of your local clique, your local assembly. Oh, unless, of course, you're having one of your conventions, oh, excuse me, one of your revival meetings. That's what I mean when I say your understanding of love, your concept of love is more occultic than it is Christ-like. Okay, you can, know, you can know for a fact that there's somebody down the street from you suffering, and it's in the power of your hand to help them. Maybe even a state over, maybe over in Ohio or down in Virginia, you know somebody who's suffering, and you could help them. But you won't do it because you're a hypocrite. And the reason you won't do it is because they ultimately don't go to your local church, quote-unquote. That's right. How many, within cultural Christianity, if they ever had, if they ever had any grasping whatsoever, of the universal body of Christ. They gave it over to the devil and they lost it. They lost it. They don't get any, any grasping. They don't get understanding whatsoever of the universal body of Jesus Christ. You know, and then these pastors get the idea that because they're only responsible, they're only obligated to apply God's command about loving your brother to those within their local assembly, if they don't want to love somebody, they just kick him out and act like it's not their obligation, not their responsibility. But they're going to be in for a big surprise. When they stand before the Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going to be in for a very big surprise. Revelation chapter 3, verse 13, winding down here in the word of the King Jesus, addressing the church of Laodicea. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Again, Laodicea means church of the people's rights. And according to cultural Christianity, it's their right to have Jesus as Savior, but not have to submit to him as Lord and Master. Oh, God's going to spew you out of his mouth. That's the way you think, listener. Under the angel of the church, the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Indeed, the beginning of the creation of God, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Without him, there was not anything made that was made. Verse 15, Revelation 3, I know thy works, Jesus says to the church of Laodicea, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. Oh, cultural Christianity. Because they're getting so much money through their acceptance by man. Well, they seem to be rich, and increased with goods, and they seemingly have need of nothing. Because they got everything they're getting, supposedly from man. But last, we'll see where Jesus Christ is in all this. He says, because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art... Wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Cultural Christianity and those who partake in cultural Christianity are just that. They are wretched, they're miserable, they're poor, they're blind, they're naked. Jesus says in, in verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, and thou mayest be clothed in the shame of thy nakedness. Do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Verse 28, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to into him and will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as also I am overcoming him. Sit down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. That's right, cultural Christianity. Jesus Christ is knocking on the door of your church, and he says, If you hear his voice and open the door, he will come in to you and will sup with you, and he with you. This has been the Word of the King. Till next week, God bless you and yours. This is Evangelist Timothy Groover.